Hey, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Art Podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries, such as music and fashion, were democratized using technology. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Bango. If you're looking to spruce up your space and add inspiration to your home or office, there's no better way than original art. And Bango is changing the way we discover art from some of the best emerging artists. So visit bangoart.com or download the Bango app on iTunes and use promo code State of the Art to get 15% off your first purchase. Now, allow me to welcome today's guest. In this episode, I'm excited to welcome the CEO of Vida, Umaima Mentro. Umaima was born in Pakistan and from a very young age, wanted to be an artist and designer. She even taught herself sketch, sew, and paint, but was worried that she couldn't make a living by way of art alone. She moved to the US and went to two Ivy League schools, worked in tech, but eventually was drawn back to her passion to combine art, design, and tech. Today, I talked to Umaima about why it's important to create a sustainable brand and how technology can help, how artists and factories are worlds apart but need each other, and how she wanted her company to have a lasting impact. So please, allow me to welcome today's guest, Umaima Mentro. Well, Maima, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So for our listeners out there who aren't familiar with Vita, tell us quickly, what is Vita and, and what is the, the story behind the name? Ah, great. So Vita, we consider ourselves a global platform for creatives from all across the world. Um, and we give them the ability to, within a matter of seconds, really, uh, design and launch original, mm -hmm. unique, beautiful products. Um, we then produce those products on demand without uh, creating waste in the world. Uh, the name is a really great question. What so, kind of products? What kind of products? So we do um, apparel, accessories. Accessories range from jewelry, which might be 3D printed or printing directly on silver and gold. Yeah, uh, to, I want to come back to that. Yeah, to handbags. And uh, we just launched uh, our home decor line, which was really exciting. Wow, congrats. Okay, and the name? The name. So, you know, starting a company, you're always looking for, you know, what uh, domain name you can own, right? And it's got to be memorable. And it's so I was looking actually at uh, baby names. <laughs> okay. I don't think I've told that part of the story much, but, uh, you know, so Vita uh, in Persian means a rare find. Ooh. And I love that. I love that. Right. And, and, you know, most people might know uh, in Spanish, it means life. Um, but in Sanskrit, it comes from the word Vedas, which means wisdom. Uh, and I think it has a beautiful meaning in uh, Hebrew as well. So the fact that, you know, in so many different languages, yeah. it had, you know, Wisdom, such Wisdom, life, rare. I mean, that's. Yeah. So had to be it. Okay. So baby names. So for all, <laughs> all of you startups listening that are looking for a name, open up a baby book. Baby book online. And, yeah. Look for baby names. <laughs> and, and, and there lies the secret. That's a good one. <laughs> Um, so before we talk more about the company, I mean, 
tell us a little bit about yourself. You have a very interesting story and, uh, you know, you're once an aspiring artist at a young age and just, you know, your story and how that inspired Vida and, and kind of your path to, to getting here today. Yeah, yeah. So I'm originally uh, from Pakistan, born in Pakistan, um, actually raised in exile. Uh, we escaped the country when I was two years old. And uh, we lived in uh, the UK and then in the Middle East for you know a good part of my life. Um, and then we were back in Pakistan when the democracy was restored. And uh, my parents are doctors and they established a private hospital in basically the middle of nowhere in Pakistan. And uh, so growing up, we didn't have you know, access to formal schools. Um, and I was uh, you know basically sort of homeschooled most of my life. And I knew of this, you know, place called Harvard. And I was like, that sounds like a fascinating place to go. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of had that and had a passion for education, um, but had a real sort of, you know, passion for art, design, uh, fashion. Um, and I, you know, started to uh, get professionally trained in a lot of those areas. So I did, you know, sculpting, I did oil painting. How, how old are you? I mean, this is when you're a young child. This is, <laughs> this was uh, right before um, undergrad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the, my first painting though, if I, if I try to remember that, I mean, yeah, that's probably when I was, uh, that I remember and that's worth, you know, maybe now still looking at <laughs> would be maybe like five or six years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, you got trained in all of these and then, but then ended up going to Harvard and not pursuing. Yeah. And so, you know, I actually did uh, try to pursue it and I, I kind of felt like, you know, uh, maybe that's not the responsible thing to do, yeah. you know, to be, to be an artist. Uh, but I did, I mean, I, I did love, um, the creative field and, uh, you know, I, I know the textile industry. Um, and so I actually tried to build my own line and wow. being an independent, you know, um, artist, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, so even with the connections that I had, you know, to go to a factory and say, Hey, can you make these, you know, five very complex, uh, you know, ties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, they do it as a favor the first time, but after that, you know, they won't. Right. So, so that, that is a real, real challenge is that if you are, you know, a young independent artist, how do you even get that first break? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that I kind of lived and breathed, um, at a personal level with sort of doors just, you know, closing on you. Yeah. Um, and then I did, I did pursue, you know, actually I went to Cornell for psychology and CS and built my career more in technology. Um, and because uh, that was the responsible thing. That was, the, resp that was the, yeah, that was like the kind of like the cool, like, but also ex somewhat expected thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, I felt like I was on the sidelines while, you know, like the creative community was just exploding in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, you think of the millennial generation, you know, really considering themselves the creative generation, all the creative outlets that are now possible for people. You know, mm -hmm. the fact that we have, you know, a pretty, uh, you know, pretty legit camera, you know, in, in our pockets, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the tools, online tools, and, you know, so all of that put together, but, um, you know, it's, um, it is, uh, it's, it's really easy to be a creative, but it's also still really, really hard to, make that into a career sure. and actually, again, get that access where people can, you know, uh, make a living with it. Yeah. So that, that obviously that experience influenced the creation of, of you. I mean, how did you eventually, what was that turning point that then turned you to this? So you went to Cornell Psychology and CS, came out of that, went to Harvard yep. to get your MBA. You worked in tech at Microsoft. Yep. What was the point where you said, okay, I'm going to go back to 
where, you know, this inspiration and yeah, so so in Microsoft, I got to build you know two platform businesses, okay. sort of like this two side marketplaces, yeah. right? And I really did love that model, where especially where you know the unit economics can be really healthy, and you're you're basically using technology to bring two parties together that you know didn't have that connection, right? Yeah. So so and and I'd built those you know into sort of several million dollar businesses, so you know really kind of love that model. Um, I knew I wanted to start a company, um, and you know, I, I knew it would be in this space. I, I feel like, and I'd lived that sort of um, for many years, and mm-hmm. I and I saw it as you know not just something that you know really fills a huge gap, but is also a tremendous business opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that you know um, uh, the market for Custom original products is $140 billion. Um, people are spending that amount of money today, yeah. you know, to get access to just beautiful You're just original. Pitching products. all the investors here. Right? right <laughs> you got to look at this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, you know, so I, I knew that it, it made a lot of business in. And then, you know, the other big element for me was that, um, you know, I don't know the, the fashion industry, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know the retail industry. I never worked in retail. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at it, you know, almost sort of from an outsider's perspective, you know, to me, it was a trillion dollar industry that just looked kind of broken, um, which is the fact that, you know, it, it, it's been operating the same way for centuries. It's, uh, you know, a set of buyers that basically sit in a room and, and, you know, they have to, they have to decide what they should buy by trying to project demand, Mm -hmm. right? What would customers want next season, Mm -hmm. you know, next sort of fall fashion season. And, um, and and that whole model is kind of flawed. And so once once they project that demand, you know, they have to build inventory, right? Mm-hmm. And they have to build stock and they have to keep that stock in stores or they have to, you know, get them, you know, for the online stores. And inevitably you get it wrong. And then you get, you know, in the cycle of you have inventory that you need to get rid of. Um, and our thought was, you know, if you can use technology to take sort of the creative community on the one side, you know, and you can tap into manufacturing capabilities on the other hand, um, but you really turn sort of this retail model on yeah. its head, right? So, yeah. so look at fast fashion, they can go from de- design to in-store in about six weeks, yeah. you know, eight weeks. What if you could actually minimize that? You could go even faster than fast fashion, but not to, you know, just create throwaway products, but rather to only produce what people pay for and mm-hmm. they actually want. And instead of having, you know, a few people decide what should be produced and, you know, put in front of um, customers, the customers decide. Yeah. And the artists go direct to the customer and the manufacturers go direct to the customer. So we just reduce so much yeah. sort of inefficiencies and, yeah. you know, stuff that we don't need uh, and make it a very, very efficient model and be able to give back you know, to the customers and better prices, artists and Everyone. manufacturers. And, and I want to come come back to the how tech plays a role in that. But I mean, there's more than just that. I mean, there's a strong social component to what Vita does. Tell us about that and this sort of bridging of two worlds that you talk about. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, the two worlds. You're you're exactly right. Right is the the world of fashion design, mm-hmm. the world of art. You know, and the world of manufacturing mm-hmm. factories. Right, and all across the world. They couldn't be sort of, you know, more farther apart. Mm-hmm. Um, yet they are codependent on each other. You know, yeah. you need, you know, a, a design idea and you need someone to create that idea. Um, and for, for me, you know, at a personal level, education played a huge role, obviously, yeah. in my life. And, um, you know, and, and, and I knew that, you know, if we could build a billion dollar business, 
But if you could build it in a way that every single product that we are producing, you know, it's going to touch millions of lives, you yeah. know, inevitably. But if each of that touch could be a positive touch, you know, just by doing business, we can make, you know, a meaningful impact and that people today care about it. Um, and for us, you know, we love sort of the Tom's model, the Warby Parker model, buy one, give one, right? But I wanted to push the envelope a little bit on that. Ooh, um, I like that. I like that. Let's push the envelope. <laughs> okay, how did you do that? So so if you think about that model, you know, from a business perspective, every time you sell a scarf, a pair of shoes, a pair of sunglasses, yeah. you have to give, right? So it hits your gross margins with every sale. Yeah. Um, but if you think about, you know, the beneficiaries of that, you know, they're they're getting a product as a charitable item, right? And it doesn't really change their life for good. Yeah. Um, and, and we thought, what if, you know, we could do something where the impact is sustainable and it's not charity, but rather it gives them tools, um, to build a better life for themselves. Now, for all of you listeners who are looking to replace your boring Ikea poster or add another piece to your collection, Bango can help. Bango's revolutionizing the way we discover art. They use machine learning to recommend art that you'll like. Augmented reality to let you visualize that art above your couch. And live chat to let you text directly with designers, all from your iPhone. They made finding my first piece fun and easy. So don't wait. Visit bangoart.com or download the app on iTunes and use the promo code STATEOFTHEART for 15% off your first purchase. Now, back to the episode. Um, so what we did was we started off with, and it was very sort of, I mean, it was, it was very grassroots in that, you know, sitting with the factory and seeing, you know, what can we do here for you? We thought, what if we could take one factory at a time? Um, we started with Pakistan as an example where we, where we said, you know, we take this one factory that we're working with and in three months, what if everybody who works in this factory 100% could be literate, you know, cause most people there could not read, write, or do basic math. It turns out it costs $15 per person forever and they're literate for life right so it's a one-time expense for the business but it's lifetime impact you know for beneficiaries so you know i think there are i mean this is this is one way of thinking about it but i think there's so many different ways that you know if we start to sort of just kind of question the norms a little bit yeah. and you know and and think of how we could do things differently that are win-win you know it's mm -hmm. a it's a it's a great business model but it's also you know sustainable impact yeah that is what about the artists on the other side i mean who are they so our artists you know it's a it's a very uh, broad community so they range from instagram photographers um you know with great social media following and um you know just 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 a very strong loyal fan base to fine artists and it might be a second career for them mm -hmm. um to you know sculptors architects um we even have we even have chefs. Really? <laughs> we even have what are chefs creating? <laughs> beautiful photography of beautiful, you know, food that turns into, um, you know, a, a beautiful painting or wall art. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's literally, so it's everyone. I mean, in, very broadly defined. Yeah. yeah creative community. Um, that's 
That is great. And do they ever, I mean, it'd be interesting to ever connect them to the factory workers. Like that would be an interesting connection to make of like, they sold this piece and then that like helped this person. Yeah. Yeah. We I feel like artists would love that. That's exactly right. I mean, the, the, the artist community does really like it. Our customer community. Really, I mean, I feel like we all, it, it matters to all of us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, our artists talk about, you know, wanting to send i mean this we did last uh year this this time for the holiday uh, season where we had all of our artists um share with us the the books that they read while they were growing up mm -hmm. and then we you know sent those books to all of our factories yeah uh to give to you know their children yeah. so we brought the children into the factories and you know shared the stories that this is you know such and such person who is in, you know. Yeah. I, I love this. Although you're making me feel slightly bad about myself. I, hey, for all of you sponsors out there who are sponsoring this podcast, I'm going to give, you know, 10% to literacy. Um, so tell, tell me about, I mean, let's go back to some of the things you talked about with the technology. I mean, things like 3D printing, you know, you use advanced printers for, for the clothing. I mean, how has that changed and how has sort of the um, ability of technology made this sort of possible, would you say? Yeah. So technology specifically on the manufacturing side, um, you know, if you just talk about that, that part, you know, because technology plays a big role in terms of even creating the design, yeah. you know, and the fact that the design, you know, can be anywhere in the world and the manufacturing can be done anywhere in the world, you yeah. know, it's kind of decoupled and that's how it actually comes together. But, sure. uh, but from a manufacturing technology perspective, you know, if you think, if, if you just talk about, let's say textile printing, yeah. so textile printing was flatbed printing, um, you know, screen printing. And it, it, it always meant that there was an upfront time of several months and yeah. cost. And then to recoup mm -hmm. that cost, you had to print, you know, thousands of yards of fabric. Yeah. What happened is, you know, uh, digital printing came on. And with digital fabric printing, and there's, you know, direct-to-garment, there's sublimation, there's direct-to-fabric, with those technologies, um, you know, it basically operates as if, you know, you had a printer in your office and, you know, you have a print queue and the print queue, you know, has, let's say, thousands of unique, you know, pages you want to print, right? Or yeah. different different artwork that you want to print, Um but, you know, you feed the, the paper once, right? You feed the fabric once. So, so that enables that technology, digital fabric printing, you know, versus the traditional screen printing, flatbed printing, enables us to print a scarf in about 45 seconds. Wow. That's Which is amazing. That's amazing. Where is there one here? <laughs> we don't have one here. No, it takes a little bit more space than, you know, what we can afford in uh, yeah. downtown San Francisco. But, um, but uh, it's uh, it's really amazing, and and so one is the speed, the other is um, uh, no upfront cost, and you know it's basically the print queue. You know, so if we're printing, let's say, you know, thousand scars, each of those could be thousand different prints, which means that they could be from a thousand different designers. Wow. So when we're launching products, and we're launching, you know thousands of products every single yeah. day on the platform. But when we're launching products, you know, a customer can go and purchase one unique product. Mm -hmm. There's no minimum, you know, order needed for us to actually take that into production because we can print, you know, even if there's a sale for one unique um, wow. scarf and that artists will that's, see that product in market. Yeah. What are you 3D printing? Uh, jewelry at the yeah. moment. Um, yeah. But, you know, we definitely see a lot of opportunity in terms of sort of more, um, you know, beautifully designed uh, home decor products um, as well. But in the accessories, you know, and home space, I think there's a, there's a lot that can be done there in yeah. sort of the way we think about it, soft goods versus hard goods. So in both areas. 
there's, a, there's an artist we talked to who's, who 3D prints, you know, wall art, hanging art. And then, and, you know, Rembrandt, there was a, a project that was done called the Next Rembrandt where they they analyzed using machine learning all of Rembrandt's paintings and then created a new painting using 3D printing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but they didn't do it in 45 seconds. So like that, <laughs> yeah. you have that on them. Um, and then what about from, I mean, uh, you know, is there anything from the consumer side in terms of like the discovery process or how do you see people who – you know, who are buying these? I mean, what, what are they looking at? How is tech playing a role at all? And like what's being recommended to them or. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what is, what is really interesting is that, um, you know, with choice. Yeah. Comes, say, thousands a day. That's, that's a yeah. lot. The paradox of choice. The paradox of choice. But, but with choice, you know, what, what it means is that with choice comes actually personalization yeah. if you use technology in the right way, yeah. right? So it could be that, you know, it's just way too much or it yeah. could be that you use that to give you, you know, even the perfect product for you, yeah. right? And, um, you know, one of the things that was really sort of interesting for us to kind of even think about is that, you know, for some of our top selling uh, designs in the last just month or so um, was um, inspired by African-American art. And, you know, there was another one that was inspired by Frida Kahlo. So just, you know, original sort of inspirations from Frida Kahlo's work. And, you know, we can, so someone who's interested in just that, you know, can find that product here. If you think of, you know, a mall, right, and and how much real estate is used, you know, for malls and yeah. a mall could not address that need. You know, because you wouldn't see in a mall, you know, a line of Frida Kahlo products, you know, because they won't have enough products. They won't get all the people across the country to be able to get that. Yeah. You know, you can only do it online. You can actually only do it using technology that all the people in all across the world, you know, that are interested in that, that you can show that product and present that product, yeah. you know, to them. Um, so with choice really comes personalization. And I think that is what is really exciting about this is that, you know, if you think about our artists, you know, and, and the, the, just the amazing breadth of diversity in yeah. the work and point of views all across the world, all the cultures, all the inspirations, you have that. And on the other hand, every customer is unique. You know, we, yeah. you know, like we don't want mass produced items. You know, we don't want the same thing that, you know, so if you can really sort of do that perfect matching using yeah. technology, yeah. you know, it's really meaningful, personalized experience and not just, you know, an item that you're bringing into your life. Is there anything that surprised you about sort of buyer's behavior? I mean, do they always buy from like the same artist? Is it, you know, they buy, yeah, one artist in different lines? I don't know. Anything that stood out? Uh, I mean, I think the one thing at a, at a, you know, at a high level that does stand out and it just stands out, you know, like regularly yeah. is that, you know, it's, it, we can't necessarily predict what would be the top selling product. Yeah. That, yeah. Right. Yep. And that's the power of, you know, power of the people and not having gatekeepers. Cause, uh, you know, if you love something, you know, you know, we feel that our job is to, to show that to you. Right. Yeah. And for that word to get exposure yeah. in front of, you know, the market that has interest in it. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it just, you know, I do respect the job of the buyers because I think it's a really hard it's job hard. to be able to say, you know, this is going to be the the thing. I think instead of that, just. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's like, you don't want to be the arbiter of what is good or what isn't. I mean, especially in the fine art world, that's such a, you know, curation, such a big issue. And we always say if there is somebody crazy enough to paint it, there's someone crazy enough to buy it. Right. And usually <laughs> it's the crazy that like gets bought first. Yeah. What, um. So, I mean, let's look ahead now. I mean, what, I don't know, are there trends or other companies that you think are doing interesting things um, in this sort of fashion tech art space? 
Yeah, I think that I think all uh, it's a really exciting time, yeah. right? Because if you again kind of think of sort of the models that have existed for centuries, yeah. um, you know, they're all you know we're all sort of being redefined, yeah. you know, offline and online experiences, and how you take you know offline to online and online to offline, and what's the value of you know just touching and feeling a product which is always going to be there, but then the ability to then you know make it your own, you know, in that experience. Um, how do you mix sort of the real and the digital? You know, I think from a, you know, from the perspective of actually, you know, creating these experiences, almost like how do you mix, you know, sh shopping as a as an act and and make that into a real meaningful experience? How do you make shopping into something that, you know, um, actually creates change? I mean, there's so many different elements to this yeah. that um, to sort of just how things are made and brought into our life. And then I... I to me, you know, the the global um, side of the story, I think uh, there's there's so much more to it, you know, in in the sense that, you know, if 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 we could truly, you know, get access to as as shoppers, even you know, the best original designs from anywhere in the world, if we can go to the manufacturer that you know has the core expertise in in making that particular beautiful product and the materials that come from that region. You know, and you can kind of flatten the world and, you know, bring the people side of, you know, all of this together yeah. um, in a meaningful way. I think uh, I think there's a lot more that will come about, you know, in that than than we've seen, you know, in the past decade. Even. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think it's really like stories and video. I mean, video can play such a big role because you can, you know, and it's so easy to create beautiful video from you know, anywhere. And you can tell that story and show that story yeah. perhaps from you know, factory far away. Um, and yeah, with retail, I mean, it's, it is interesting to see how the online offline world play together moving forward and what technology changes that because you do have to have an incredible sort of offline experience to get anyone to come because there's so many advantages that you pointed out to having to, to online, mm -hmm. you know, print on demand. I mean, yeah. convenience, all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, how do you take choice into the physical world? Yeah. Right. Because you don't have endless aisles. Um, but there are actually really interesting creative ways to doing that. And then how do you make it personal? You know, how do you make that experience personal to the person who's coming in, you know, into a physical space? Um, I think there's some really fascinating things that, you know, we'll see. A lot for us to think about. Yeah. Well, I have had a blast doing this and I really hate to go. <laughs> but before I do, we, we're going to do a quick rapid fire. Okay. All right. All you're, right. Not, you're not prepared for you this. You didn't prepare me no. for this. No. Okay. First question. Do you have a favorite artist? Oh, my God. Uh, so many. I don't know. This would be so hard. <laughs> no, you don't want to pick one? Okay. What's your favorite TV series? Oh, gosh. You have all the kind of questions that I don't <laughs> I do TED Talks. That's okay, what what's I your do, favorite actually. TED Talk? Oh, gosh. Now again. <laughs> there you go. Okay, fine. All right, what is your life motto? Uh, to design my own life. Ooh. Very fitting. Yeah. No pun intended. Okay. <laughs> all right. This was fun. Thank you so much. Where can uh, all the listeners find you and find Vita? Uh, Shopvita.com. Okay. Thank and you And what about so you? Twitter? Can they find you on Twitter? Relatively private person. No. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. So and what, what about Vita? Is there Twitter? Yes. Is it what? Shop Vita. Shop Vita. Shop Vita on Instagram. Shop Vita everywhere. Shop Vita yeah. everywhere. All right. Go to Shop Vita. And if you're an artist too, same thing. Go to shopvita.com. Absolutely. And at the bottom. At the top. At the design top. with us. Okay. Yes. Design with us. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much, Ethan. This is great. So don't forget, visit Vita at shopvita.com 
or on Twitter and Instagram at ShopVita. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh yeah, and don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind the scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode and really cool art videos you're gonna wanna show your friends. Thanks again to Van Gogh for sponsoring this episode and to all of you for listening. Remember, if you're an artist looking to create more or a buyer wanting to enrich your home with original art, visit vangoart.co slash podcast and save 30%. Until next week, you can reach out to me directly on Twitter at Ethan Appleby with your thoughts, feedback, and compliments. I also want to thank everyone on the team. State of the Art is a team effort here at Bango, and I couldn't have done it without Deepak Kanda, who runs creative outreach and is a jack of all trades, to Wes Stevens, who's the most meticulous audio engineer and makes me sound way better than I should, and with special help from Clara Pryke and Amanda Hart. Thanks, and signing off of State of the Art.